Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Right to the back. Uh, it's, uh, it is a real pleasure to be here. Um, it's been a little while, hasn't it? I mean, there's a while, and then there's COVID, and then there was, and there was some time before that. And, uh, but you all look just as young as you did before. I don't know how that works. There's something in the water around here. Um, but a real pleasure. For, awful lot's changed for us. The last 18 months or so have been meteoric in change for us. Um, I have entered into something which is called retirement. <laughs> Could anybody tell me what that means by any chance? I think we're all on a journey to discover what on earth does that mean. Uh, but it means I've sort of handed over roles that we've been carrying for many years. We've lived in Derby for 40 years. And uh, so a move wasn't just a, a, a straightforward thing, and it's been quite a, a major move for us. And we've had other things that have just come into our life. But, um, you know, when we start to sing, there's that, that song we want to sing everywhere we go. Uh, <laughs> All my life you have been faithful. Don't you, just something in it, that song. As you sing it, you go, yes, God. Because you are good, you're so good in all of our circumstances and sometimes in our difficulties. Um, it is my pleasure to be invited to join in with the series that uh, you're going through at the moment on 1 Peter. And um, uh, there are a lot of people who actually think that this book is particularly relevant to us in this time that we're in at the, right now. It's about uh, Peter, the shepherd... I know he was a fisherman when he started, but he got a shepherd's uh, commissioning from Jesus. He comes as a shepherd's heart, and he's speaking to people who are increasingly in an alien and sometimes hostile situation, sometimes being hostile because of their faith. Now, it's only a couple of generations back, isn't it, that we could say um, our grandparents perhaps lived in something which was more like Christendom. It was like Christianity was more about the values. We've just been listening about culture. The culture that we lived in was more based on Christian values. It had its own problems, but I believe there was something about that, that we were kind of more in line and going with the current of culture. A couple of generations now, where we are today, increasingly our culture is going in a different direction. And that means for us, we're not going with the grain so much, we're standing against the grain a little bit more. And uh, that has a whole lot of challenges for us. So these subjects that we're looking at in 1 Peter, they're not lightweight. They're not kind of pat on the head, it's all going to be... A, it is actually quite a strong call to stand for who we are as believers, as Christians, in the midst of this. Uh, so we've got to live differently, says Peter. Live differently. The loudest voice that you can have is by how you live. And uh, Jesus actually put it like this. He said, um, you're in the world, but what did he say? We're not of the world. Uh, so we kind of live in the world. We're in integrated. We're part of it. But we're not carrying the same value systems necessarily as those around us. That's quite an interesting thing, quite a challenge for us. And it is interesting to actually experience that. I, um, I, 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 I do quite a bit of driving, and um, there are a, there's a certain sort of driver that is, has a particular way of driving. I'm going to be, have to be careful here, aren't I? Uh, so let me just put an apology just at the beginning, if anybody is in one of these. Okay. There's a certain category of driver called a white van driver. <laughs> 
just checking I'm not hurting anybody's feelings too much here. But a white van driver, I just, let's just say white van drivers have a particular culture and way that they drive. They usually seem to be in a bit of a hurry. They're usually quite urgent. They kind of usually uh, don't necessarily keep to the same rules that the rest of us do, etc., etc. So we go, oh, white van drivers, white van drivers, you know. Anyway, a little while back, somebody's moving house. I'm asked if I could go and help. They said, would you mind um, driving the van? I get there, it's a white van. And uh, I'm going, this is my day. I get into the white van, and the spirit of white van driver comes on me. And then the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Mark, you are in the white van but you are not of the white van. <laughs> and for a day, I drove counter-culturally. I smiled, I waved, I let people in. I didn't go up there. I just lived a completely different life. And I changed the culture of white van drivers for a day, okay? We have to live a countercultural life. And, uh, you know, in this, this book that Peter is writing, he's trying to encourage us and urge us to say, stand firm. But listen, this is the way to live. These are the ways to live. There are, I think, uh, I've, I've got three main themes that have come through and keep coming through about how we should live today. And wonderfully, they all begin with H. I just think it's great when a plan comes together. You see, there's a theme that, that Peter writes. He says, what the first one is, humility. Humility. You know, the sense that we, we are not a proud and arrogant people, but how we live is with humility, a humble lives. Wouldn't it be nice to see a little bit more humility in some of our leadership these days, in you know, some of the leaders around the world and so on. But humility is that theme. Peter brings it out again and again. The second one is holiness. He says, be set apart, be distinct, be different. Holy doesn't mean religious, by the way. I mean, we do know that, don't we? There was a, there was a day when, the, just say the word holiness to me, and it meant, it meant Sunday's Sunday best, and you're not allowed to do a whole load of things. Couldn't even buy an ice cream on a Sunday, you know? So it was like that. That's what today I understand. Holiness is actually being a different people, being someone who God has set us apart to be different. And He's saying, "I want you to be humble people. I want you to be holy people." And then the third one, which is H, is hope. There's this theme that runs right through Peter of hope. And folks, if ever there's a message we should be carrying today. It's a message of hope. We'll come to that in just a minute. Now, just to be very, very clever, if you live those three things out, if we say those are our, our attributes, they're qualities that we should be living today, the result is harmony. And harmony is a great theme that comes, again, through the book of 1 Peter. It's like he says, I want to look for harmony in the workplace, harmony in the home, harmony in the social spaces, and so on. So that's what we're kind of looking at this morning. So Nesta's going to read us the passage, which is from 1 Peter 3, picking up from where my illustrious people have gone before. Erica last week, wasn't it? I watched you, Erica. You look better on TV than I do at the moment. So anyway. Yeah.
just be careful. <laughs> um, just before I read, um, I wanted to share a picture that I felt the Lord has been giving me this morning, and it fits in a little bit with Mark and the, the white van driving. Uh, mine was more domestic sort of picture, and some of you um, may identify with this. When you put something of the wrong color in with your whitewash, and I did actually do that when we had a visitor staying. He, he was not impressed. Um, and uh, the colour, if it's a strong colour, comes out on your lovely white, white clothes. And uh, I just felt what God was saying was that some things are meant to be white. They're meant to be pure. That's what they're meant to be. But if you allow something else to come in alongside them, they can take on the color of something that is completely wrong for, for your behavior or your attitude. And I just felt God wanted to, to challenge us and to just say, if you're feeling that a spirit of a one van drive, white van driver has come on you and you're behaving in a way that you don't normally behave and you're becoming taking on an attitude, a thought process that isn't normal to you, that God wants to say it can be restored to white again. It can be. Just allow the Lord to, to help you recognize what it is that's come in and changed something within you that shouldn't have been changed and get back to the holiness that, that God wants you to, to demonstrate. I'm going to read from uh, 1 Peter 3, um, verse 8 to 18. I think it's all coming up on the, the screen. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously 
against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Amen. So these are, as I say, they're not lightweight, these things, and I believe quite challenging for us as we think about how we live our lives. So let's just pick out two or three things from that passage and, uh, and just try and see how that will apply to us today. And the first is this one. This is the one we love, isn't it? Um, that we counter evil by doing good. That we counter what is evil by breaking into that and doing good. I think we'll all be aware that this happens on firstly a personal level, that if somebody insults you, there is something in you that wants to kind of have retribution and wants to, somebody hurts you and somehow there's something that wants to, and what happens is a cycle begins. And we do know that that cycle begins to be a vortex that can suck people down and down. We know that evil can be met with evil. Violence gets met with violence and a cycle starts to happen. We've seen it in society, we've seen it in countries, we've seen it all over the place. And it actually is about, uh, about how we live our lives, but also how we see this, 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 uh, this uh, people repay evil for evil. And we know how that happens. And here's the challenging part of the gospel. It said, instead of us joining in with that culture, we break the cycle. Okay? We break the cycle. And whenever we've seen something, like in Northern Ireland, it took some huge interjections to say, we're going to break the cycle. Because every time an atrocity happens, we're going to get you with another atrocity. Because there's something that works in that. We all know that. We understand that, don't we? But here's a challenging thing for us. We're here to live counter-culturally. So we don't repay evil for evil. Hello. We don't. We don't repay insult for insult. We come in as followers of Jesus and we do what Jesus did. So why, why do we do that? Well, because, first of all, <laughs> because God is like that. This is what he's like. He breaks into those cycles. In fact, if you remember in the Old Testament, he said, um, he said like, uh, what was meant for evil, I'm turning for good. I, this, is what, this is what I'm like. There's a place uh, in the Old Testament which is called, they call it, uh, the Valley of Achor. Some of you all know this, the Valley of Achor. And um, basically it was a terrible place because terrible things happened there and Achor simply means trouble. Now I don't know if you'd like that on your address, you know, because some towns or some places, they kind of like carry the name rugby. Great name, you know. Carries a lot of work. But fancy just going like, yes, where do you live? I live in um, trouble. You know? And it's like somehow it kind of hangs over you all the time. And I think it's always interesting, a name of a place, actually. So I was thinking this the other day. I went uh, a couple of years ago to a, a church in Croatia. 
uh, to a place called Split. And I said, oh, this is great, church plant here. It's called Community Church Split. That's not a really good start for it, is it, really, in some, way, in some ways? But this place in the Old Testament was called Achor. It was called Trouble. And uh, everything about it was, that's, that's what it was prophetically, that's what it meant, and so on. But you'll know what, what God does. He steps in. The prophets start to prophesy and says, when God comes into this, the valley of Achor becomes, do you know what it is? A door of hope. Isn't that amazing? God does this. He breaks into those things, and he turns them around. And his call to us is that we should also be those who look to break the cycle. So instead of returning evil for evil, we are called by God. And praise God, he didn't just say, do this out of your own strength. He said, I'll give you a Holy Spirit as well. He says, but I'm calling you to break the cycles, to break the cycles that are there by doing good instead of evil. Now, we have got one particular weapon, especially when it comes to us personally here. We've got one weapon that God's given us. It's called forgiveness. Hello. It's like when somebody wrongs you, rather than carrying that, and it's so easy to do it, it's so easy to feel hurt and to feel damaged, and to withdraw, to do all the kind of reactions. But God has given us, he's given us a weapon. He said, like, here's the weapon, forgive. Don't just forgive your friends, as Jesus said, but actually forgive those who've done you harm. I told you this wasn't going to be easy. It's challenging, isn't it? But do you know what? I mean, I can think of so many times when sort of something's happened and I feel hurt or I feel damaged in some way. And everything in me wants to kind of reciprocate or at least not have anything to do with them anymore. And God has actually given us this ability to say, now, come on, look, this is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is forgiveness. You forgive even when they're not necessarily looking to do the same from the other side. And when I think about this, I think, oh, some of the small things that I get so caught up about and yet there are some amazing points in, of other people who've carried so, so much more than me and then have examples, showed us an incredible example of what this means. One of these people was Corrie Ten Boone. Many of you will know of her. In the Second World War, she was from the Netherlands and was uh, with her family, were kind of helping and protecting people to escape and so on. Towards the end of the war, captured and put into a... A uh, concentration camp called um, Ravensbrook, where atrocities took place to her, to her family. She lost a lot of her friends and her family, and huge, huge damage to her and to her. And then this happened after the war. She's speaking in a Christian event, and unexpectedly, one of the guards from Ravensbrook turns up in her meeting. And uh, he says this, he approached her after her talk and he said that he'd become a Christian. And he asked if she, could if she could forgive him for the brutality that she'd suffered at his hands. After a powerful struggle in her heart, she said, I woodenly, mechanically thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. 
And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, she cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner, she says, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. When you read that and you hear those stories, that example, you say, the power of forgiveness, the power of breaking the cycle, the power of saying we're not going to return evil for evil. I'm going to turn good for that. And actually what the Bible tells us, that in that we inherit a blessing. Isn't that amazing? God actually says in that moment, I'm going I'm to bless you even more. It's a powerful thing and God's promise to us is that we will be blessed as we do that. So we are people called to say we, we return evil with good. But actually, just in the wider place as well, in the society as well, I believe that's we today as Christians are called. Where, where we're at our best is wherever there is kind of things that have got an evil cycle within them, human trafficking, it's Christian organisations often standing up and saying, we're going to break that cycle. Uh, even like I think on sort of the, the nighttime culture, street pastors step up and say, we're going to break that cycle. Um, where there's poverty, uh, Christians against poverty come in and they say, we're going to break that poverty cycle. Where there's food banks, etc. Do you see that these aren't just good, good things? They are ways in which we are looking to say, we're going to return evil with good. Because that's who we're called to be. And I'll tell you why. It's because God is good. It's because he's good. He is so, so good <laughs> that when we join in with him and we get his Holy Spirit working in us and through us, the world goes that way and we go, thank you, Lord. <laughs> we'll do good. We'll do good anyway. And that was my title. Do good anyway. Okay. <laughs> Whatever is happening. Now, the next thing I want to say is almost like another layer of this, so another step. Because now we have to, this, this passage says, that not only do we, just, do, we not, do we repay good for evil, but look, we actually embrace suffering for doing good. This is like, wow, you know, hold on a second. This is even more. We're trying to do good, and then we suffer for it. <laughs> yeah, you kind of try to do the right thing, and you get beaten up for doing it. I don't know if you've seen any of the little videos. I couldn't find one, but, you know, of some dear old lady standing by the side of the road, and a chap comes rushing along and helps her across the road, and then she gets her umbrella out and pits him on the head. She obviously didn't want to cross the road, you know. <laughs> and the poor bloke's going, I was trying to do good for it. Anybody ever felt like that at any point? Because this is another level of the, of the gospel. In actual fact, what, uh, what we find today is that quite often doing good, doing good still gets kind of a profitable reward, gets a good reward. People see good and they say, that's good. 
I, I love it. I love being saying, you know, there are Christians sh shaping our culture today that, uh, and they're getting recognised for it. So Andy Hawthorne, who leads the message in OBE. Deborah Green, who leads Rock. She's OBE. Um, John Kirkby, who started Christians Against Poverty, CB. They're being rewarded for doing good. That's great. But let me tell you this. I think that the way that society is going, we will probably increasingly find ourselves doing good and being potentially persecuted for it. Okay? Actually standing against some of the things that the culture would be going to. Um, this is absolutely the heart of the gospel. This is Jesus suffering for doing good. Suffering and taking an unjust, if you like, punishment upon himself. I don't know if you've been through situations where you felt like I've really, really done my best to do good here. And somehow it's turned on me. It's turned around on me, you know. Um, I'll share a story with you, which is probably one of the most painful stories for, for Nestor and me in our, in our whole kind of uh, life and ministry. And it was quite formative. Um, we had a young woman who came into our church and she had a lot of problems. Uh, she had all kinds of issues of depression and so on. And uh, we were just standing with her, praying with her at one point, and we just said to her, in somewhat our naivety, but we said, listen, we can't think of anything that just fixes your, your problem. You don't, don't, don't want to, but let, tell what we can do. Why don't you come and live with us? It's the only thing we felt we could offer. Come and live with us. We had smaller children, um, and we wanted just to say, come and, just, come and, come and, come and be with us. It's uh, a... <laughs> It's all right, it's just a little, little interlude, if you like. <laughs> um, it, it's, we're nearly Christmassy now. I was, I was waiting for a jingle bells set. <laughs> so this girl, a uh, young woman, she, uh, she took, took a... <laughs> if everyone wants to just get out their phone... <laughs> Silent, that'd be great. <laughs> it's great. I mean, I, I'm expecting little elves to come out somewhere or something like this, you know. Are we all right? Yeah. Um, there we are. Okay, back in my story. <laughs> this young woman, she came to live with us. And do you know what? It did work. It stabilised. It felt like she... She kind of settled down, and our kids loved her. She, she was just great, great to have in our home. What we found, though, was after about six months or so, she was becoming very, very dependent on us. There was a sort of dependency which had grown. We talked about it. We said, wouldn't it be great, actually, if, we could, if you could move down the road, just nearby, down, just near us, um, you could come to tea every couple of days or so, so we could stay, stay with another friend who's there, and, uh, and this, will, this will be, if you like, uh, a good sort of plan. Well, it went badly wrong. She, as soon as she moved out, she spiralled downhill, and then she attempted suicide. We were deeply, deeply shocked and upset um, because we loved her, you know. Kids loved her, we loved her. So we went to the hospital to see if we could see her, and we were met at the door and barred from going in. 
And we were told at that moment, um, you can't come in and you definitely can't see her. You are the problem. You've caused this problem by kicking her out of your house. And all of a sudden we went, oh my goodness, we're, we're on a list. We're, we're somehow listed here as people who have caused somebody to attempt a suicide. And yet, our hearts were <laughs> to do good. Are you with me? Like we're trying to go, we may have been naive. We may have done things that we should have, you know, but basically our heart and our motive was we want to do good. And the very doing good came back. And what made it even more difficult, certain people in the church started to side with others to say that we are those kind of leaders. Now, I have to say, this was one of the most painful, but also one of the most defining moments of our lives. Because we sat down together deeply, deeply upset, deeply hurt. And we looked at each other and we said, we can never do this again. We can't give our lives to people in this way again. We can't have people to come and live with us again. We can't do the damage to our children and to us. We can't do this again. And then we stopped. And we looked at each other and we said, of course we will. Of course we will. Because this is what God's called us to. And this is what we'll do. Do good anyway. Do good whether it comes back to you as favour, well done, well done. Or whether it comes back as persecution and unreasonable, you know, uh, rejection of some kind. Which brings me just to uh, a famous quote by Mother Teresa, which is where I've got my title today. And Mother Teresa famously says this in a sort of poem. She says, people are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. <laughs> if you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow or turned on you or turned in round on you. Do good anyway. Give the, the world the best you have and it may never be enough, but give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. There is, uh, I believe, that call on us today to say, hold firm, stand true, live your life with integrity, with holiness, with conviction, with goodness. Sometimes it'll be turned on you. That's the kind of world we live in. And tell, let me tell you this, folks, there's other places in the world where that applies 10 times more. And we need to pray for them. As they try to do good, they get persecuted for so doing. And I believe these are days we really need to pray for that. But there is this promise. There is this promise that in the heart of that little exercise, in that thing, we inherit the blessing of God. It's like it says in, um, in the next chapter, I think is in chapter 4, it says that we receive the glory of God in these moments. When we find this and when we do this, 
In fact, I, I was reminded, if you like, of Stephen, the first, pro, uh, first martyr. And, uh, you know, when he was, he was actually being stoned, actually giving his life up, he looked up and he said, and he saw the glory of God. The glory of God, the spirit of God and the glory of God come on him. And you think, Lord, there's some moments which only you, Lord, knew. That in the absolute cost of, of being on a cross, the glory of God was revealed and shown. So we live in these kind of days, and these are the challenges we do. Let me just finally finish with this, though. And it's like the third thing to say. We are also, though, prepared to give a reason for our hope. And... Um, this is sometimes used as a sort of a reason to say we need to have a, a, a proper, thought-through, analytical, um, apologetic, you know, reason to, to I can actually give a justification for my faith. And I think, okay, yes, I kind of understand that. But that actually isn't quite what it says. It, what it says is that what we should do is to be ready to give a reason for the what? For the hope that we live in. <laughs> in other words, people are looking at us and going, where'd you get that hope? What is that that you live? What is it that's going on in you when everything else around us is going like that and you've got hope? And you go, because this hope isn't the same as your hope. Because you mean hope, meaning you hope England are going to get through to the, <laughs> to the last 16. <laughs> now, that hope is actually based on a wishful kind of, oh, God, please, you know, whatever. Biblical hope, as you know, as hopefully we understand and know, is not based on the strength of our desires. It's based on his faithfulness and his promises. That's why we say our hope is not a flimsy thing that, oh, out in the first round. It's not that kind of a hope. It's an anchor, the Bible describes it. It's an anchor for us. It actually gives us life. Hope, if you like, renews our strength because our hope is more than just on some little thing. It's in the promises of God and who he is. So we live differently, folks. We live lives on a basis and a foundation of hope. And so our lives look different. And so people come to me and go, I don't know what it is. And at that moment, you give a reason for your hope. You say, here's the reason for my hope. <laughs> we have this kind of basis for our life. We're not swayed by culture. This is how, how we do it. And I think the most wonderful thing about hope is that it doesn't disappoint. That means that we live with not... Um, wishful expectation, but we live with this promise of hope in God that even at the very, very point, at the end of life for us, for you and for me, we stand there at the end of life facing death and there is hope. Why is there a Christian funeral one of the most glorious things we can go to? Why is it? Why is there this awful mixture of, of, of grief and sadness and yet in the midst of it a joy that says, because we are full of hope. A year ago exactly my dad went to be with the Lord. He'd been a local preacher for 68 years. <laughs> and him and mum had been married for 70. And uh, it was just sad. Sad, huge loss. 
My dad was a huge pillar in the community and all sorts of things. Um, but you know what? There was something glorious in his Thanksgiving funeral service. And uh, it'll be the lasting memory for me from last year. All our changes, all that's gone on. Now, the thing I'll remember forever is uh, as we sang together in Christ alone. Right? And my sister's next to me, she nudges me, she says, look at mum. My mum is there with her arms lifted up, declaring the goodness of God in the midst of a funeral of her husband. And somebody put on, the, on their, their social media the next day, I think I've just been to the best funeral I've ever been to in my life. And I'll tell you why. Because there's hope. Because that, as we enter, even at that moment, we go through and we say, thank you, Lord. Our hope is eternity with you. That's what it's founded on. We are a people. I believe today, as much as anything, we must carry that sense of hope with us. Can't be just tossed to and fro like that. We've got to say, no, no, there's something deeper. There's something more that we're digging into. The world may be unjust to us. It may be unfair to us, but we are full of hope.